nothing. I can talk really loud. Right? Mm-hmm. Can't live with it, can't live without it. Um, all right, what's well, a joy to be here this morning. And with that said, I'm going to dismiss the kids for children's worship. Those that are here. I think we've got... Okay. <clears throat> Not to be too complicated. No. That is on. We're yes, on. that is on. Sorry. No, it's fine. Turn your head. All right. I'm cool. Let's make sure you're just <laughs> right. Good. Okay. Go. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, so we record the sermons, and so if I just use the pulpit mic, then when you go back and listen to it, you're going to hear, and God said, let there and God said, and so it goes back and forth. So this, this will be better for the recording, I guess. Um, this morning, if you would open your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 1. It's where we will begin this morning and end in John chapter 1. I know we've been in the Gospel of John for like two years, so everybody's like, we're going back to John. Um, but I figured we haven't been in John 1 in two years, so it would be okay to go back to John chapter 1. We began a few weeks ago um, this Christmas season with this Christmas series entitled The Promise of Christmas. We began by looking at Genesis chapter 3, the very first promise of Christmas. After Adam and Eve fell into sin, humanity was cursed and creation was corrupted, but God made a promise. He made the promise that there was coming a man who would crush the head of the serpent. And the next week we looked at the characteristics of the promise from Isaiah chapter 9. We talked about the names given to the one who would come to redeem the world. Wonderful, counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father. Then last week we saw the purpose of of the promise in Isaiah 53 that this promised one had come and been born for a specific purpose and that purpose was to die for the sins of the world. The promise of Christmas would come only to die. Today we conclude our series with the fulfillment of the promise. As we come upon December 25th and the day we celebrate the birth of Christ, we look at the fulfillment of the promise and the Word made flesh. It's where we'll begin this morning. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and he cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning recognizing our sinfulness, our wickedness, our total depravity, and our total need for a Savior. God, we ask you this morning that as we approach this text that we would not stand above the text that we would not simply interpret the text, but God, that your text and this word would interpret us. That it would cut to our hearts. Father, that it would convict of sin. That it would bring new life. That it would wash us and sanctify us. Father, we pray that we would not leave here in the same manner in which we came. But God, having submitted ourselves to your word, that we would leave changed. Father, now we ask what we do not know, teach us. What we do not have, give us. Father, what we are not, make us. By the power of your spirit through the preaching of your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This first chapter of John's gospel is referred to as the prologue. The prologue. It is the setting and the description of the one who would come. It sets up the whole gospel of John. The first 18 verses of this chapter provide all the details concerning the promise of Christmas. They set the stage by telling us who he is, where he is from, what he has done, and what he will do. John opens his gospel with a simple yet profound statement. In the beginning was the word. Now on the surface, it doesn't seem to be that profound. In the beginning was the Word. But John's original audience would have read this statement and their minds would have immediately gone somewhere else in Scripture. And yours may be doing the same at this very moment. In the beginning was the Word. We've read this statement before. In the beginning. 
in Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God. John purposefully echoes that statement here in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. John doesn't begin with, in the beginning was God. Why doesn't he begin in the same way in which Genesis begins? In the beginning was God. Or in the beginning God created. Instead John begins with in the beginning was the word. John is setting us up to have a Trinitarian view of God. He doesn't begin with simply stating in the beginning was God because he recognizes that God is not simply one person but he is three persons. He says in the beginning was the word to tell us that the word is eternal as God is eternal. John doesn't say in the beginning God created And then go on to talk about the word. Because he doesn't want us to have a misconstrued idea. That somehow the word was created by God. That the word came from God. But he wants us to understand that the word is God. The fact that he tells us in the beginning was the word. Sets up for us that he is suggesting that he was before all of creation. He goes on to explain that. He says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word was with God. Again, setting us up for a view of a Trinitarian Godhead. Three persons, one God. He wasn't simply God. He was with God. Though this verse is often translated as the word being with God, the Greek literally translates the word was toward God. The word was toward God. See, the Greek here actually helps us understand what John is trying to say. He's not saying that in the beginning the word was with God in the sense that God made him and he dwelled with God. John is saying there's some kind of relationship here. The word with, literally translating toward, means there's some kind of reciprocity between the word and God. That they have some kind of relationship. The word was with God. And then he says, the word was God. The word was God. Here John leaves the reader with no doubt as to the deity of the word. He says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was eternal. The Word was with God. He was one of the persons of the triune Godhead. And he said the Word is God, or the Word was God. He is deity. John makes perfectly clear the, the Word not only has relationship with God, but the Word is fully God. He clarifies this in the next verses when he tells us that the Word is creator. But first of all, I want to ask the question, why does John call him the Word? Why does he refer to him as the Word? John Piper raised this question in one of his sermons on John chapter 1. Why does God call him the Word? 
we could pose the question, why isn't he referred to here as the deed? In the beginning was the deed, and the deed was with God, and the deed was God. Why doesn't he call him the deed? Piper answers, a deed is more ambiguous than words. If we think our words are sometimes unclear and subject to various interpretations, our deeds are far more unclear and ambiguous. Words bring clarity to our deeds and more accurately capture the meaning of what we do. God is communicating here in John chapter 1 that he is not a God of confusion, but a God of clarity and communication. If he had said the word is a deed, the deed could be confused. But our words bring clarity to what our deeds are and what we mean by our actions. Piper then poses the question, well, why, why, don't, why, why doesn't John call him the thought? The thought. In the beginning was the thought. The thought was with God and the thought was God. But, he says, one of the differences between a thought and a word is that a word is more generally pictured as moving outward from the thinker for the sake of establishing communication. Our thoughts we keep to ourselves until we put them in words. So to call the Christ or the word or the logos as it's here in the Greek, to call him the thought would mean that God keeps him to himself. He stays in God's mind and in his heart, but rather the word goes out. Establishing communication between God and man. The fact that God calls him the Logos, the very word of God, speaks to who he is. He is God's communication to man. He has come to tell us things about God. The promise is fulfilled in the very word of God. The promised one and the promise of Christmas is the word. It doesn't stop there. Look with me at verse 14 through 16. The word was made flesh. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was, of whom, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word was made flesh. Sometimes I, I sit and I think about, if I were God, how would I do this? And don't lie, you think about it too. Oftentimes we act like we are God. But I sit around and I think, if I were God, how would I choose to redeem the world? If this was my plan, what would I do? If it was me coming to dwell among wretched people who needed me to save them, how would I go about saving them? Well, if, if I was the only one who could save the world, 
I'm coming in splendor and majesty and glory and everyone's going to know that I'm here to save them. If I'm doing this, there are going to be trumpets and fanfare and people and crowds and people shouting my name and all these things. It's going to be known that I'm here to save the world, right? Picture Aladdin. Have you, have you seen the movie Aladdin, right? When the genie wants to turn him into a prince so that he can impress the girl, right? The genie gives him what? Like elephants, really fancy clothes, bands of people to follow him. He's got dancers and the whole ribbon dancer thing going on. And he makes a scene coming into town, right? Okay, everybody knows that a prince has arrived to town. That's what I would do. I would come in in such a fashion that everybody knows I'm coming to save them. And they better bow and they better worship. Right? This is not how God chose to do it. The Word was made flesh. God, rather than splitting open the eastern sky and coming and in glory to let everyone know He's here to save them, Instead, he comes in the form of a helpless baby. Born in a feeding trough in a tiny little town. In a disgusting, dirty stable. God became man. The nine dollar theological word that we use for this is the incarnation. God becomes man, the incarnation. One commentator said, if you want to see what lengths God will go to in order to save humanity, look not simply to his journey from the manger to the cross, but to his journey from heaven to earth. God cared enough that he left the glory and the splendor of a perfect place. A world where angels worshipped him day and night, crying out his name, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he left all of that for the plate of some animals. To a small town where nobody knew that he was being born. It was dirty. It was filthy. And they were alone in that stable. The very king of kings. The very lord of lords. Was told there was no room. He would have to be born in a stable. But it doesn't simply end there. It's not as though Jesus was born... And then immediately went to the cross. No, but he made his dwelling among men. Literally, this, this translate, he tabernacled among us. He dwelled among us. Remember from the Old Testament, the tabernacle would have been in the center of the camp of the Israelites. Represented the place of the law the place where God dwelled, the source of revelation and the site of sacrifice and the focus 
of everyone's worship. It all happened there in the tabernacle. Now in the new covenant, this word made flesh provides all of these. Jesus is now the tabernacle dwelling among men. He didn't simply come, go immediately to the cross, die, and then three days later rise again. But he dwelled among men. He was tempted in every way that we are, yet he was without sin. This word became flesh and he dwelt among us. Not only that, he is the only son of God. This word made flesh, this promise of Christmas is the only son of God. The last half of verse 14 we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We beheld this word made flesh. We saw his glory, that he was the very Son of God. Which brings us to the next point, the word made flesh, the promise of Christmas is Christ Jesus. Verse 17 and 18, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. These verses identify that the Word who was before creation, the Word who was with God and was God, is the person of Jesus Christ. And it is through him that we can receive grace. He is God and he is Christ. The word made flesh is the Messiah. And he is here to save his people. For the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Notice it says no one has ever seen God. No one has seen God at any time. But Jesus Christ has made God known to man. Jesus Christ being the word flesh going out from the Father, communicating to man. Communicating what? Who God is. In Christ we see the glory of God the Father. God communicated to man through his Son, through his word become flesh. Is this that we celebrate at Christmas? Word made flesh is Christ, and Christ is the Creator. Verse 3. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. All things were made through Him, without Him was not anything made that was made. Remember in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering on the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. The Word, the very spoken Word of God in Genesis 1, the Logos the Word made flesh was used and it was through Him in the beginning that God created everything. God said, let there be light. Through Him, all things were created. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Christ is Creator. Well, what does that have to do with anything at this point? I mean, we, we understand that Christ is 
the one who has come to redeem the world from sin, to break the curse, to crush the serpent's head. But what does the fact that he's creator have to do with anything? Why does John even mention that here? I mean, we're talking about Christmas. We're talking about Jesus coming as a baby. Like, what does it matter that he is creator? If he is creator, he is worthy of our worship and our praise. If he is creator, he is worthy of all glory that we can give to him. John is saying, this baby, you should bow before this baby because it was through him that you were created. He is creator and he is worthy of worship. Not only that, but he is life and he is light. Look in verse 4. In him was life and the life was the light of men. In him was life. The life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. Jesus Christ brings life. Now you may say, well, there were people living when he came, right? Like, it, it's not like he, he was born and then creation came to life. No, they were living before, but Christ brings a new life. A better life. A more abundant life. The life that causes light. That brings about light. The world was full of darkness, living in sin. But Jesus came and brought a life that would bring light. That would make us the light of the world. If we would put our faith in him, Christ is life and light. And there are only two things that we can do with the word made flesh. There are only two responses that we can give to this Christ child, to the baby born in a manger. And John mentions them here beginning in verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. The first option we have in responding to the Christ and responding to this promise of Christmas is to reject him. It's to reject him. Understand the irony here in verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. The very one who had given them life and breath. The very one who holds all things together by the word of his power. The world didn't know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. His own people did not receive him. Understand, the Israelites for over a thousand years have been looking for this Messiah, the promised one, who in Genesis 3 was said he would crush the head of the serpent. Every time a woman was child in the nation of Israel, she would wonder am I going to give birth to this promised one? Is this the one of whom God said he would crush the head of the serpent? 
That's why in the nation of Israel it was such a curse and so sad if a woman was barren and couldn't have children because she knew she would not be the one to bring this child into the world. For over a thousand years they've been looking for this one who would come and to save them. And then when he comes in the form of a baby in a manger and dwells among them, these people don't even recognize him. They reject him for who he says that he is. This morning, you have only two options. You can reject that Christ is who he says he is. And you can reject the gift that he brings in his death, burial, and resurrection. And you can continue to live in your sin. This road leads to death. Leads to darkness and death. But, verse 12, but, one of the most glorious words in the Bible. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. You have another option this morning. You can reject Christ or you can receive him. If you receive this Christ, if you receive this word made flesh, if you receive the Logos, the very word of God, you believe in his name, he will give you the right to become a child of God. Whereas rejecting him leads to death. This road leads to life. To receive him leads to not only a new life, but a life as a child of the Almighty God. You will receive adoption as his sons and daughters. You can either reject Christ this morning or you can receive him. The one who was promised in Genesis 3 that he would come and crush the head of the serpent. He has come. And Satan bruised him on his heel at the cross of Calvary. But three days later, Jesus rose, defeating hell and the grave. And he crushed the head of the serpent. And he reigns victorious. And know this. There is still a promise to come. That Christ will return again. And this time he won't return as a baby in a manger in the quiet town of Bethlehem. But he will return as King of kings and Lord of lords. He will come again with shouts of trumpet and with fanfare. And all the world will know that he is king and he is sovereign and he rules over this world and on that day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You ask well what about those who don't believe in him? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Not because they believe in him. Not because they love him. They will bow out of compassion 
compulsion because he is king. Do you want to bow out of compulsion because you have rejected this king? Or do you want to bow out of reverence and worship for who he is? As we go into this holiday this next week, you're going to be gathering with friends, family, those whom you probably love more than anyone else in this world. And I'm confident to say that we all have those in our families who have not received Jesus Christ as Lord, but have rejected him and have chosen death over life. And I would urge you to make this a time to be light in darkness. Jesus came to give you the life that you would be a light to all men. That the light of the gospel would pierce the darkness around us. Pray that as we celebrate Christmas, that all of us would be able to truly celebrate Christmas. You can buy gifts, you can exchange gifts, you can have meals, talk about good times from this year. But if that's all it's about, you're just celebrating a holiday. It's no different than the 4th of July. But if you know Christ, if you've received the word made flesh, you will truly celebrate Christmas as you celebrate the person of Christ and what he has done in your life and in this world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for the word made flesh. We thank you that you fulfilled your promise. promise that you made all the way back in Genesis 3 that you fulfilled it in Jesus Christ when he was born and he lived on this earth that he died for our sin took the death that we deserved and God now he lives the life that we cannot live on our own and I pray this morning that there are those, there are those here this morning who have not received Christ but have rejected him God that you would do a work in their heart they would see their need for the Savior that they would see their desperation their wickedness God that they would see that they are living a dead life God, that they are dead in their sins but God I pray that they would come to you for life in Christ and Father as those of us who have placed our faith in Christ await your glorious return. I pray that we would be faithful to share the gospel in season and out of season. God, right now we have the opportunity because this is a holiday season, because we know what the true meaning of this holiday is, we have the opportunity to speak to our neighbors and our friends and our family about the true meaning of Christmas and about this promise of Christmas. 
God, I pray that we not let those opportunities go by, but Father, we would be bold in declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you would give us compassion for our neighbors, for our friends, for our family, that we would see their desperate need for the Savior and God, that we would share with them the glorious gospel of Jesus. We worship you this morning. We thank you for all that you've done. And Father God, all that you will do through Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand with us this morning.